If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me right in probably the middle of your Bible. It's Psalm 119. It's actually the longest chapter in all of Scripture uh, this morning as we continue our sermon series, God's Family Values. We are actually at part nine. We're going to start in Psalm 119, and we're also going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3. But as typical the last several weeks, uh, we're going to be all over Scripture, so be ready if you have your Bibles. If you don't, there's one in front of you. Uh, much of the scripture will come up on the screen for you. Uh, but again, we continue this incredible sermon series as far as incredible of what God has done for us as God's family values. And we really got to link this to God's amazing grace through the work of God's son, Jesus Christ, that we could be a part of God's family. Now, let me hit pause and make sure you, all of you heard that. God is loving and graceful to sinners like us that we, he's made a way for us to know and love him and to be a part of his family, so intimate through the work of his son. And if we, by God's grace, through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus, and have been brought near through the power of the Holy Spirit, we really are his family. We really are beloved. And if we are his, part of his family, we got to embrace God's family values we got to embrace what he loves. And again, becoming a Christian and a part of God's family is like getting a new set of lenses uh, to see the whole world. We talked about this in the first week. It's like our worldview. It's incredible what Scripture says about those who come to Christ. It says you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And we should see ourselves. We should see our God. We should see our world completely different as Christians than those who don't know Jesus. It's like a new set of lenses. My own, uh, uh, great job today, Kyla, uh, bought these in upstate New York. Uh, these are actually, Seth, you look really good back there, bro, uh, looking good. Uh, these are little opera glasses. Have you seen them? So you go to the opera and you pull these out and why you wanna see differently, you wanna have a little magnified view of what is going on stage. Uh, you have uh, these kind of glasses to give us a worldview. And as Christians, uh, God has given us like a new set of lenses for us to see life. Life is different for us because we understand the story that we, all of us, have been made in God's image. And the value of life is tied to the value of God. It's so important for us to know that. And then we read in God's story of gender, that God is the one who made male. God is the one who made female. Both male and female are made in his image. We see it through the lens of scripture. We realize that God is the one who created marriage. He's the one from the very beginning of the story. My, my goodness, in Genesis 2, as soon as he creates two, he makes them one. Why? For his purpose, for his glory. We've seen that God has created families, and families are really like a primary unit for, for Christian education and blessing this world. We've looked at things like not only family, but work last week and how God values work and how all we should be doing should be for the glory of God. We've looked at values like grace. We've looked at values like humility. These are God's family values. Now, all of these family values, it's really important that all of these family values, they be held together. Now, listen. Don't lose me on this. This is really important, especially in today's day and days and where we see our culture. All of God's family values got to be held together. We can't take them individually as silos. 
They all connect with one another. They shouldn't be separated from one another. And we see that we live in a time that some of God's values are being separated from other things like God is love. And love is love. And this value has been separated from everything else God says and love is love. And it's kind of reshaping what God says. And he never can do that. Or reinterpreting what God's word really says. We have to hold all of these values, all of these truths together like a web, like a snowshoe. How many of you know what a snowshoe is? You're good Floridians. Anybody know what a snowshoe is? So let me show you a picture of a snowshoe. This is a picture of a snowshoe. These are actually old wooden snowshoes. Um, I called my good friend, Mike Carpenter. He's got a really cool room in his house. It's an Adirondack room. I said, Mike, do you have a snowshoe? No, I don't have a snowshoe. So I did this. I spent 40 good dollars of your tithe money, and I bought for a, a show you what a snowshoe looks like. I bought it on Friday, and it said it's going to be delivered on Saturday. All right? It did arrive. It's about this big. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? So I, I didn't unwrap it. I'm sending it your good tie dollars back. We're going to get it back. But I wanted to show you what snowshoes were. Because snowshoes, it's very interesting what they do. Snowshoes help you walk through snow. Let me show you the next picture. You will see your pastor, a bigger than life guy, up in the Adirondacks, wearing snowshoes going through. Because if you don't wear these snowshoes, oftentimes you could fall right through the snow. And the snow can be feet deep. So you have this web that helps you walk through things in life and not fall through. You need to have, sometimes, snowshoes. I remember one of my favorite professors in seminary, Richard Pratt, would talk about when it comes to theology, when it comes to the Bible, and understanding we should walk through Scripture with snowshoes. We should not take one point and that that one point be all things to us because you'll fall through the truth. You've got to hold all these things together. And so it's important, church, that we know God's word. It's important, church, that we know God's value. And it's important, church, that we weave them together and we hold them together. And sometimes there's a tension with that. God is both merciful and God is just. We're going to talk about that next week. But we've got to hold that together or we will slip right through. And one of God's family values that, that uh, um, we're going to look at today is the value of authority. Authority. Well, we certainly live in a time where people are very suspicious of authority. Are they not? I think King's Chapel has more than its share of those in blue. We have more than a share of a retired or active cops in this place than ever. But how is the view of police these days and authority over us? We live in a time where we're very suspicious of, of authority, very adverse to those who are or who think they are over us in authority. And anything that's authoritative, is it not true? It feels like a tight wool sweater on a hot July day. Picture that. It's itchy, it's cumbersome, it's ill-fitting, and it's inappropriate. All you want to do is throw it off. I don't want an itchy wool sweater uh, when it was like 400 degrees yesterday in July. Uh, authority uh, struggles is not just a current reality. If we read God's word and you hear God's story, we're going to realize that authority and a struggle for us has been as long as time began. 
I mean, there's always been, humankind has struggled with authority from the very beginning. From the time that sin entered the world and what's known as the fall of man, we've been in a rebellion. We've been in rebellion against authority. All right, I, I had one for you last week. I got another one for you this week. You ready? Here we go. I fight authority and authority always wins. I fight authority, authority always wins. Thank you for all you who know this song and didn't join me and just stared at me like I'm a big idiot up here, of course. Anybody know who sang that? His name changed, John Cougar, John Cougar Mellencamp, John Mellencamp, he is going around. But he knows the reality, he fought authority, authority always wins. It's gonna always be true, why? Because God is the ultimate authority, hear this, and God always wins. So God has created us for authority, but God will always win. So we're going to look at a few things today. We're going to see that we are created to live under God's authority. We're going to see that we are created to live under the authority of God's word. We are the people of the word. And we're, we are also going to see that we are created to live under the authority of God's hand or God's providence, his sovereignty. I got another disclaimer for you. I gave it to you last week and almost every week. This is a topical sermon. A topical sermon in many ways, it's still going to be exegeting God's word. But we're looking at a, a, authority. And we're going to look at it from Genesis to Revelation. And honestly, I probably did it to you again. I'm sorry. It probably could be a good little mini-series. And I'm going to try to give it to you in one sermon. And I'm going to start really big. We're going to talk about the big story of authority because it's all of God's word. And I'm going to be brief in it. And then we're going to go to God's word and we're going to come to our current reality. Stick with me. I know it's a lot. I've been accused of getting a fire hose out and just letting it all out on y'all. But it's important. It's important that we hear uh, what God has to say regarding authority. And again, one of my biggest struggles is where do I start and where do I stop in God's word to talk about authority? And I've landed on Psalm 119. We're going to hear Psalm 119, verse 97 through 105. I'm going to pick up verses 130 and 131. And then we're going to turn to uh, Peter's, or Paul's uh, letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. But wherever we find ourselves in Scripture, let's be mindful. This is God's Word. It'll never lead us astray. Psalm 119, I told you it's the longest book in the Bible. It's all centered around every little section. It's broken out into the Hebrew alphabet. Every stanza has whatever that letter is in the alphabet. All, all of that will start with that word. It all focuses on the word of God. And I'm going to pick it up in Mem or, or verse 97. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I kept your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now none, and it was gonna, that, that's a 105, it's a new section. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. And now I want to jump to uh, 130. 
The unfolding of your words give light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Let me just stop and say, as a preacher, I love that. I think that's what we do every week. Did you hear that? The unfolding of your words give light. That's what a preacher does. He takes the word, he tries to unfold it. It imparts understanding to the simple. That's who we all are apart from Christ. We all should open up our mouth and pant and long for God's word. And then 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, All scripture is God-breathed out, is God-breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that you and you alone are the ultimate authority. And God, we thank you for your infinite wisdom in telling us who you are and who we are and how much we need a Savior through your word. We thank you that your word is living and active. We thank you that all of your word is God-breathed and should be our authority. God, we thank you for your spirit that helps us understand your word and helps us to walk in a manner worthy of your name. Oh, Father God, we want to have you be the one who unfolds your words for us today. We ask that you would shine light on our darkness today. We ask that you would help our simple minds to understand truth. God, we ask that you would be with us, that you would reveal to us the parts of our lives that are outside of your authority. That you'd reveal to us the parts of our lives that are in a rebellion to your authority. The parts of our lives that are just aren't in sync with who you are. God, please speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us words, give us ears to hear your words. Give us minds that understand your truth, your word. Give us hearts that would embrace your authority, uh, that would surrender to you. And give us feet that would walk, not only in a manner worthy of your name, but according to your word. Living under the authority of our great God. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, the first thing we see is we're created to live under God's authority. Every one of us. Amazingly, we're created in his image. And God created us to live under his authority. When God created us, God's word says God gave us great authority. It's amazing what God has made for you and me in his image. Humankind is not only been made in his image, we have been made with authority. We are to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over all the earth. We're to represent God on earth. That's authority. God created us to have authority, but God also created us to be under his authority. God is the one who tells us what our ultimate purpose is. We can't find it from Tony Robbins. We can't find it in a textbook. We're not going to find it in fame and fortune. Our purpose is found in our creator. He tells us our purpose, and he also tells us, has the authority to tell us what we can and cannot do. That's what God, who he is, and we are created for his authority. In the very beginning of his story of the Bible, God created Adam and Eve, 
and he placed them in a garden. It was an amazing garden called Eden. It's paradise. And he placed them there to work. And God told them, and he kind of told us through them, oh, what to do. All right, I want you to work this for me and my glory. I want you to make this place inhabitable, all of the earth, for me and for man to walk together. And, man, and God told man what not to do. I'm telling you, there were very few rules. There were very few restrictions. And God and man walked together in fellowship. But God wanted to make it clear. He had authority and man didn't. And so he says this in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. God says, it's all yours. Enjoy it. But there's one thing you're not supposed to do. Do not eat from that forbidden fruit, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, that is, you're under my authority. That's what I'm asking you not to do. If you don't, if you obey, you're going to live. And if you disobey, you're going to die. Everything's going to be broken. Well, sin, the second thing, a part of that is sin is rebellion against God's authority. If you want to know what sin is, that's it. Sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion against God. Um, the Westminster Confession of uh, uh, Faith says, what is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It's what God asks you to do and you don't do. Love your neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or to, not to do these things. Don't covet. And sin is a rebellion against God's authority. And guess what we did? We rebelled. Uh, we rebelled against God. Uh, I want to read to you uh, the story of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read again verses 1 through 7. This will talk about our rebellion and how it all began. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, he said, can you really trust God? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. And then she adds, Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, Satan, said to the woman, Ah, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired and to make one wise, she took it of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It'll go on to say they hid from God. That was it. God says, one thing I don't want you to do. Don't eat this. And they said, oh, man, it looks good. Man, it seems right. Let's go ahead and do that. And everything changed because of man's sin and rebellion against God. Now, this is important. What I just said is, listen, everything in your life, everything in your world, Everything you've ever seen, everything has been affected because of this. This is the fall of man. And, and everything has been cursed. Everything is broken. There's nothing that we haven't seen uh, or touched that isn't affected by this fall. Everything is cursed. Death and separation from God would take place. He would drive them out of his presence. 
And you know what? Here's the reality. We can't miss this, folks. We can't reason our way out of our sin problem. It's not that we got to get a little smarter, a little bit more moral, and try a little harder. Not only can we not reason our way out of our sin problem, we can't legislate our way out of our sin problem. No matter what happens in the upcoming primaries, no matter what happens in the midterms, no matter what happens in two years, four years, a hundred years, and I hope God's grace is over all of those things, we can't vote out of our sin problem. The sin problem's in here, and we need a Savior. And we need a Savior to rescue from our, our problems. They're that bad. I'm reading, I think I told you, an incredible book, The Land of Hope. It's a story of the American democracy. And I love seeing how man's understanding, Americans' understanding of our depravity uh, really helped shape our nation and the distribution of power. But when God got out of the story and we thought that man was able to fix and heal himself, we thought we'd be able to get the right legislation in that would take care of all of our problems. Listen, we have the greatest land in the world. We, are, we, have, we have such incredible freedoms and blessings. But we're broken. And we need a Savior. And our hope is not the American dream. Our hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our brokenness is so incredible. Listen, we're not fixed by getting a little better. We need more than 12 steps. We need a Savior. The big story is this. God created us for authority. We rebelled against authority. And we need a Savior. And here's the reality. The third part of that is Jesus saves us by submitting to his authority. Let me summarize the gospel in one verse for you. Romans 10, 9. It says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This is a big word. Lord, King, Messiah, your King. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We live in a time of easy believism. Go to church, get baptized, something happens, you're in. No, no, no. According to scripture is you got to come to the reality that you're not your own authority. You got to come to the reality that you are separated from a holy God because of your sin. And the only way you're restored is through the work of his son. And it's coming by God's grace through faith to the reality that Jesus is your Lord. It's kneeling to him, confessing your brokenness and asking him in your life. He's not your counselor, although he's that and more. He's not just your friend, he's that and more. He is your Lord. I mean, you're saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, this is radical. This is, this is saying Caesar is not my Lord. Biden is not my Lord. And, you know, I'm not my Lord. I think for most of us, we're not the ones sitting on the throne. Jesus is the one who should sit on the throne. We acknowledge him as Lord of our lives. We acknowledge that Jesus has authority of our lives. He's created us. He's got the authority as our, as our creator. He's redeemed us, purchased us with his blood, covered us in his righteousness. I mean, we're his. He is our Lord, um, and we submit to him. When we believe that God raised him from the dead, we're believing in a miracle. We're believing in the cross that Jesus became our sin was raised from the dead, the Father accepted his sacrifice, and is a triumph over sin and death. We are saved. Okay, so we're created to be under God's authority. That's the big picture of the Bible. You got it? Secondly, we're created to live under the authority of God's word. Psalm 1 and 1 and 2 and Psalm 119, 1 and 2. Let, let, me, let me read uh, both of those. Psalm 1, uh, 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. We were created not only to be under God's authority. Listen, we were created to be under God's word as our authority. His story. This is our rule. Uh, This is our guide. This is what we have. We are people of the book. You can't be a Christian and not embrace God's word in in, in fullness in that sense. You've got to be following Christ Jesus in the authority of his word. So God has given us his word. It's authority over us to bless us. It says very clearly in Scripture, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who embraces God's word as his guide. God's word has the authority to guide us. I read Psalm 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. How many of you are at a crossroads? What do I do? Well, God's word is supposed to light your way. God's word is to guide you and to direct you. Um, God's word is, has the authority to equip us. Oh, Noah's good. We love it. Sorry, Noah. God's word has the authority to equip us. Did you hear what Paul said in 2, Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? Let me tell you again. All scripture, it's breathed out by God. God used the writers like Moses and Peter and Paul. They still had all their faculties. They still were their personalities. Uh, God didn't mechanically take their hand and make them work numbers. They, God just breathed upon him as being. And God's word is given to us. All scripture is breathed out by God. And you know what? It's profitable. It's profitable to teach us, to reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That man, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It has the authority to equip us. God's word has the power to lead us to a savior. Um, I don't know about you, but I hope that when I read Psalm 1 and talked about the blessed man who meditates on the word of God, I hope there was a little bit of, ooh, man, I, I don't meditate day and night. And I hope I read it when a little bit of Psalm 119. It says, oh, I love your Lord. I love your law, Lord. And I, I want to follow you. I hope there's a little bit like, oh, man, you know, I love myself so much. You see, scripture has a way and a power to lead us to a savior. God's word is given to us to reveal God's will for us. But it reminds us that you and I are knuckleheads. We've fallen short. We can't please God by keeping his law. Not one of us has done it. God isn't giving us a book to say, okay, here are the rules. Now, if you want me to like you, you better follow them. God says, this will tell you my character. This will tell you my will. And guess what? It'll break your heart if the Holy Spirit's a part of it. You're going to read yourself in the story and you're going to realize you're a sinner. You're going to realize how far you've fallen short in your words, your thoughts, and your deeds. And you're going to read part of it and you're going to be ashamed. You're going to say, what do I do? And by God's grace, he shows you, here's what you do. You run in faith to his son. You run into the one who fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. You run to the one who is perfect and lived the law for you and now robes you in his righteousness. 
You run to the, the one who died on a cross and absorbed the Father's wrath so you and I can receive his blessing. You run to the one who defeated sin and death by walking out of a tomb and became a dead man and uh, became alive again. A dead man came alive and he lives to intercede for us. You see, the power of scripture isn't just to make you more moral, isn't to make you a little nicer. It's to drive you to Jesus and say, man, do I need a savior? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me ask you the question, is God's word authoritative in your life? Where is God's word in relation to your life? I'm telling you, if God's word is not relevant, it's collecting dust. You're not going to be in it. If God's word is not trustworthy, it's a bunch of stories, you're not sure if you can believe the veracity of them, and that you're going to read it and try to determine, well, I get this, and I don't get that, and I'll accept this, and I don't get that. Let me tell you, we're to be people under the word. Um, we can't pick and choose. We should live under the authority of God's word. I love it. I read it this morning in Psalm 36. It says that in God's light, we see light. In God's word, we understand truth. This helps interpret truth the way God sees it. It tells us in story form, there's hyperbole, there's different genres. It's not a textbook, thank God. It's a story. But is it authoritative in your life? I mean, I think that that's the bottom line. I mean, and if it's not, if you pay no attention to it, Christian, we live in a time we have to know God's word. We got to be authoritative. They're telling us that life has no value. They're telling us that genders are fluid. They're telling us that marriage is completely different. They're telling us all these things culturally that is different than what God says to us. So where do we put ourselves? Oh, we want to reason our way out of this? Are you kidding me? We put ourselves under the authority of God's word, what he's revealed to us, and we boldly stand and speak truth. Let me tell you, you'll be mocked, you'll be criticized, you'll be considered old-fashioned. But the scary thing is the church has embraced the world's philosophy and we've ran away from God's word. This is the light unto our path. This is the inerrant word of God. And we kind of look at our lives and say, where are we not living under its authority? Where are we cherry picking and humble ourselves? Lastly, we're created to live under the authority of God's hand. I wrestled with this under God's hand. Those of you who like big words like, we are under the authority of God's providence. We're under the authority of God's rule. God rules over all things. I want to read you one last passage. Stick with me. We're almost done. Uh, Romans 13. Romans 13. I can't help but laugh because I could picture everybody. Now, this is not picking one side of the fence or the others. We all do it. But for those of those in the last eight, ten years who say, that's not my president, let me just tell you what scripture says. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Huh. How can God let that person get elected? How can God let that power rise? How can God allow that? Well, we live in a broken world and his ways aren't our ways, but it says there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear to the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. 
for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to those whom taxes are owed. Revenue to those revenue is owed. Respect to those who respect is owed. I think of our cops. Honor to those whom honor is owed. Isn't it interesting? He's basically saying this. I'm in control of all things. And I don't make mistakes. And yes, it's a broken world. And there's some crazy people out there that shouldn't have authority but do. Um, but the reality is, is God is sovereign. And his hand of providence are over all things. All earthly authority is instituted by God. And then lastly, obeying governing authorities honors God. Now, I can't end without saying there's a time to rebel. When, when, when man in their institutions raise up so clearly against God's word, we always follow God. And when it's clearly, um, and again, this is Jeff, and it's not a great analogy, it just popped in my head. Um, if abortion was mandated, we rebel. And it's, if, it's, if, it's, if it's something that's legislated, we fight for life. Um, and we got it, we, 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 there's some difficulty here. I mean, how does God and all authority allow Hitler to come to power? We're going to talk about that for about a millennium. And I don't know all the answers. And I know that there's a time to rebel, and there was a time like people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer rebelled against a godless leader. But I'm telling you right now, we got to be people under God's authority, under God's word, and living the best we can uh, as peacemakers, as best we can, realizing that no matter who occupies the Oval Office, that God is still sovereign. He's our hope. And please, for the love of God, church, don't think the next election is our greatest hope. Jesus is our greatest hope. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Certainly vote for the judges and the, and the, and the people that will most advance Christ's kingdom. But know that God is ultimately in control. And whatever you do, don't fret so much. God is on the throne, right? He's, he's got this. He's got us. We are in a dark time right now. But guess what? Light will always shine. The darkness will not overcome. We win because he wins. Amen. And we're going to make it home. But church, may we shine today. May we not cater to this world. May we never become like they are. Let me tell you, let's stand. Let's stand behind God's word unapologetically. And there's going to be things that we don't understand. And let's wrestle with them together. And let's be good Bereans and say, you know what? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me either sometimes. But let's look at it in context. Let's dig in. But let's not give up. And let's don't put any society views ahead of God's word. This is our authority. He is our authority. Let us live for his glory. All right. Are you living under God's authority? In what areas of your life are you in rebellion to God? So we're sinners, right? Even redeemed sinners, we're sinners. We have the propensity to rebel. Are you living under the authority of God's word? And are you living under the authority of God's hand? Let us pray. 
Now, Father God, thank you for making us in your image. And God, thank you for being our authority. Thank you for telling us a true story in the Bible that we rebelled, Adam and Eve rebelled against your authority, and they represented us and we rebelled too. And there hasn't been a person born, even beautiful little Noah, that isn't born needing a savior, isn't born in rebellion. And God, we thank you for Jesus, your son, our savior. And we thank you for salvation, that we can be saved by bowing to his authority as Lord, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Now, God, I pray for King's Chapel and I pray for the church, the bigger church, the bride of Christ. These are dark times. You hear what the church often is giving into, what the church is celebrating. The church seems to be walking away from the authority of your word. Oh God, don't let it happen. Oh God, May your people live under your authority for the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor. God, may King's Chapel be a people that taste and see that the Lord is good. May King's Chapel be a place that longs to know and live out God's word. God, would you be our great teacher? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.